we'll uh, go ahead and begin with a prayer. So, um, um, excuse me. Um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Merciful Father, your patience and loving kindness toward us have no end. Grant that by your Holy Spirit, we may always think and do those things that are pleasing in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All righty, so we are part three on free will. Um, this one was a little bit different. There's more, there's not as much going through the Bible um, as there are uh, quotations from the Book of Concord here, but uh, it's still still really good. We're going to probably, this is going to be one of the shorter uh, lessons for sure. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started here um, with the opening psalm, which has been the same psalm the whole time, in case you haven't noticed, but it's it's a good one. Um, psalm, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Psalm 80 verses 1 through 7, so I'll do the, uh, the unbolded parts and y'all do the parts in bold. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim sh shine forth. Before Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay, so this first part is on, you know, it's still going to be talking about how our will is opposed to God's will. Eventually we'll get into, um, I believe, um, we'll get into conversion later on, and maybe even talk about how um, we are to now have a new will in Christ, but... First and foremost, we keep talking about how our will is opposed to God's will. So, um, that's going to be kind of the main theme right now. So, God's Word testifies that the intellect, heart, and will of the, of the, the, the natural, unregenerate man in divine things are not only turned entirely away from God, but also turned and perverted against God to every evil. Also, that he is not only weak, incapable, unfit, and dead to good, 
but also is so lamentably perverted, infected, and corrupted, um, and corrupted um, by original sin that he is entirely evil, perverse, and hostile to God by his by his disposition and nature. And that he is exceedingly strong, alive, and active with respect to everything that is displeasing and contrary to God. That's some pretty strong language there, right? Uh-huh. Well, Lots we're of really good people. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? We're really good people. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> what were you saying, Paul? Teenage years and early 20s. Teenage years and early 20s, yeah. <laughs> Angsty and, you know full of the vim and vigor, but it's all for the wrong stuff, right? Um, and, but I, I, I read this... I read this before and, and I didn't notice how many times it says perverse. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so it's like he's perverted um, and then he's perverted and then he is perverse. It's like, oh, wow. So there's a lot of perversion going on. Um, we're all just a bunch of perverts, I guess. But um, yeah, so read Genesis 8. I think he misquoted that 822. It should be 821, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, because 822 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That doesn't have anything to do with about how man's heart is described. So let's turn to Genesis 8, 21. Um, why don't we divide up the text like we usually do? Um, who who wants 8, 21? I'll take Jeremiah 17. We'll get Jeremiah. Who wants Romans 8? I'll take Romans 8. Okay, and then uh, Galatians 5. We'll just do those for right now. Who wants Galatians 5? I'll take that. Yeah, Galatians 5. All right, so Genesis 8.21, what does that say? And when, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Right. So, how is man's heart described here? Evil. Evil. Yeah. Not just kind of good, not just mostly bad, but evil, right? Um, from his youth. Yeah, from his youth. And, and, and even even further back, what was it that um, before the flood, uh, what, did, what did God say about man? Um, he said, my spirit... Uh, shall not abide a man forever, for he is flesh. And then it goes on. He says, um, yeah, I mean, he says, uh, the Lord saw the wickedness. This is Genesis 6, um, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not just part of the time, not just some of the time, but continually, right? Only, not just partly, but only evil. Um, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. I mean, can you imagine how bad it was before Noah? Uh, that how, how horrible, that God would grieve that he had made man. Oh. Don't you think he's doing that now? I yeah. Say, that's what I was just going to say. I think he's doing that now. Yeah. I wonder, you know, because, uh, and this is a side, side, side note, I'll, because I need to pad this a little bit. This is a fairly short study today. But I, I wonder what it would be like if, if we knew what the world was like before the flood. 
you know, because there's like the Nephilim and, and, and who knows what kind of creatures were on the earth. I'm sure that, like, you know, of course you see like Leviathan and Behemoth and all these things, like all these creatures and whatever. I wonder what it was like on the earth before the flood. Um, I, wonder, I bet it was just wild. I bet it was just crazy. Um, but wild in a really bad way too, because I mean, people were just doing whatever they wanted. Uh, killing, you know, whatever, and, and wicked, and, oh, it would just, I mean, it was probably Sodom and Gomorrah on steroids, actually, um, because, because, uh, uh, because, I mean, why else would God wipe out the entire earth, right? Not just one city, but the entire earth. That's just nuts. Um, yeah, the, the great reset, as it were, right? Um, anyways, so, yeah, uh, man's heart is... Intent on what? Evil from his youth, right? So now let's let's look at Jeremiah seventeen verse nine. Who who read that again? Okay. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Yeah. So um, again, how is man's heart described here? Deceitful. Yeah. Deceitful. And beyond cure. Yeah. Uh, I think in, in, in the English Standard Version, it says, you know, deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, right? Yeah. And that's like beyond cure. It's, it's the, this like understanding of just totally far gone in your sin. Um, and, that's, and that's why, that's kind of my favorite. Oh, I, I say it tongue in cheek. It's my favorite verse when people say, you know, follow your heart. Uh, <laughs> no. you know what I mean yeah yeah follow your heart because there was there was this uh, this like web comic you know where uh, the, it was this guy named Adam Ford and he you know it was like a little stick figure stuff you know um, well a little bit better than stick figure I'll, get, I'll give the guy some credit but um, uh, it was like you know um, the mom tells her son Follow your heart, son. And, those, and, so, and so the boy is going, all right. He's like, okay, heart, what's it going to be? And then the heart says, sin. And he goes, ah, there's like lightning and thunder, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, yeah. And, yeah. Then he quoted that, that verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I mean, we laugh, but it's, it's, it's true. It's just kind of funny how people, how our our sinfulness goes so far that we don't even realize what we're saying sometimes about ourselves. Yeah. Um, how about Romans 8, 7? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Mm-hmm. Didn't we already read that before? Um, not that we can't read it again, but uh, what is hostile God towards God flesh yeah um, the mind set on the flesh right uh, mm-hmm. on fleshly things um, eight seven yeah so the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot that um, we have this war within ourselves which you're going to talk about here in Galatians 5 um, the flesh whenever you hear things about the flesh, it's never good. Um, 
it, it's always put in a bad context. The only time you really see flesh put in a good context in the New Testament is John chapter 6, where Jesus talks about whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have life, right? And, 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 it, and that if you don't do these things, you don't have any life that is in you, right? So um, that's like the only time that I know of, at least, where uh, the word for flesh in the, the New Testament is actually put in a good context. Um, so the mindset on the flesh, uh, the flesh that is corrupted, uh, that is uh, contaminated by sin, that is sick with sin, it is hostile towards God. And, you know, so it's, it's not even that we're in this, like, neutral zone. We are all the way in, in well, from y'all's perspective, positive, neutral, and, um, and, uh, and, um, and um, negative. We are not even in the middle. We're all the way in the, in the, 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 the minus column, right? Um, how far? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. We're not even at zero, yeah? Um, because even negative one is gonna, you know, damn you to hell, right? So we, we need to say, not that we need to keep the math in our heads about where am I? Plus one, plus two, plus three, zero? Where am I at? That's not important. The point is that we are nowhere near where we need to be to even be um, neutral on these things. Um, so with Galatians 5.17, who's got that one? I do. Yeah. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Okay. So um, what is the relationship between the flesh and the spirit? Polar opposites. Okay. Yeah. Um, they are opposed to each other. Right? Um, 517. Yeah. So the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Right? And then he goes on into, you know, um, the, uh, the, um, when he says, walk in the spirit that, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we'll get to that in a little bit here, but we see that there's the works of the flesh and then the fruits of the spirit, that the flesh is all about what it does, yeah? Uh, the flesh says, this is what I do, and it's nothing good, right? Um, sexual, man, <clears throat> um, the works of the flesh are evident Man, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, right? Um, it's actually really interesting to see how, is it the right word, pernicious? Um, is that the right word? I'm going to this up with it. Pernicious. Mm -hmm. harmful um yeah i'd say pernicious insidious like i guess 
tricky in some way too, these works of the flesh are, because some of these are really self-evident and even sorcery. You go, sorcery? Who's engaging in sorcery, right? But if you look at the Greek word for that, um, in fact, I'm going to do that right now. Let me just take a look at it real quick. I'm pretty sure that the Greek word, if I was to, and I'm, I'm taking, I'm patting this a little bit. So um, just so you see what it is, how deeply ingrained these things are within us, even today. Um, let's see, Corinthians, Galatians, where are you, Galatians? There you are. Um, Galatians 5, where is that? Uh, sorcery, 520, right? Um, um, yeah. So if I was to write out this word in Greek, I wonder if y'all could understand the word for sorcery. So keep that in mind. It's sorcery. Right? That helps, Bill? S O R C. Yeah, that's right. S O R C E R Y. Yeah. Sorcery. So you think of like a sorcerer or like some guy who's like practicing magic and stuff like that. But in Greek, I'll write it out not in the Greek, I'll write it in, in our, um, the alphabet. See if you can guess this word. Pharmakeia. What does that sound like? Pharmacy. It sounds like pharmacy, doesn't it? <laughs> Chaos. <laughs> yeah, pharmakeia. Um, what's that? Yeah, Walgreens is sorcery. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, CBS is the really bad guy. Um, no, but think about it. Pharmakeia. Um, not, not to like harp on this because, you know, people sometimes, you know, people need their heart, uh, they need their blood pressure medication. They need, you know, some, sometimes aspirin and things like that will help with, with things that are, and those are good things, right? We have, we have helpful, um, healing properties in, uh, the world, but how many people are on prescription meds that for, you know, depression or, for anxiety or something like that, where um, you say, like, they're so dependent on these things. They're so dependent on these things that, um, that believe it or not, I mean, pharmakeia is an ancient practice of sorcery where, people, where you'd go to somebody and they'd mix up a concoction to make you feel better, right? Um, and that's not all bad, but when you're so dependent on it, it's bad. Right, it's bad, um, and now especially, I think I heard it was sometime last year, they said that all the depression medication, the SSRIs or whatever, um, that's supposed to deal with the chemical imbalance in your brain when you're depressed, they saw that that they did a new study that said that doesn't even that it doesn't even do that. Like, that's not what causes depression. That's not what it does. It's it's something where. Um, it's basically loading you up with serotonin, right? I think, uh, or, or, or it's, it's causing a shift in the chemical imbalance because they thought that's what it was. And now they're saying, well, now we know more about depression to where we're not even sure that's what it is, but we still give people the antidepressants. And, so, and whereas now you're also saying people who say, I'm tired of being on these drugs, I wanna do something else, and they go and they it sounds kind of funny. They get outside. They get around people. 
you know, they do the things that will make you feel better. They go on a run, they work out, they go for a walk. Um, they go talk to somebody, they go to church, you know, they pray, they do all these things that will actually make you feel better instead of taking the pharmacia, the sorceries that will make you not so sad, right? And, and, and this, this, this hits home for a lot of people because people are really bound by these things. Um, and I'm not saying that they're all bad for everybody. We have to use wisdom in these things, but they're so rampant. I just can't believe that there's so many people out there that are so depressed that they have to be taking high dosage of meds for these things, right? Um, there's got to be something better. Um, and it probably is also contributing to the breakdown of our society, I think. Um, it's one little thing about, amongst many. But I just show that, I point that out because that's one of my favorite things to show. Like, you think that we don't struggle with sorcery. Yeah, we do. We struggle with sorcery. People are dependent on their medication. Um, and then you, but then you just look at like impurity, sensuality, idolatry. I mean, anything you fear, love, and trust in God above, above God, uh, anything you fear, love, and trust above God himself is idolatry, right? Uh, and that includes covetousness. Yeah. So hopefully I, I gave you all a little bit something to think about. Um, think twice before you go to Walgreens now. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But no, really, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like you think that it's not a problem. Sorcery is not a problem, but uh, it, 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 it's, it still is, especially these people that are pushing. Have you all heard about this? You know, back in the 60s, you, you know, it, was, it was really far out to do like uh, mushrooms and LSD and stuff like that. Uh, now they're talking about the benefits of it. Have you heard about this? Oh, it's nuts. Not that I'll like tell you you should go do this. I don't think you should do this. Like you're finding people that are um, advocates for micro dosing magic mushrooms, like um, the psilocybin mushrooms and stuff like that. So it's like it's 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 not enough to make you hallucinate, but they say like it's such a small dose. They're like, it helps with my depression. It helps with my attention deficit disorder. It helps with this. It helps with that. I feel great. It's just like, yeah, you're taking psychotropic drugs. Of course you feel great on a small level, but like you're becoming dependent. And that is exactly sorcery, right? It's, make, it's altering your mood and doing it in this way that is... Um, I mean, it's just altering your reality that you become so chemically dependent on this thing that um, you have a hard time realizing the good things in life that God has given, right? It's a misuse of the good things that God has um, given to us, yeah? Um, so I just point that out. I'll stop there for a second. What do y'all think about that? Didn't the American Indians... Do that. I mean, they yeah. took, I, I want to say, I don't know, I'm, it's the name of an Indian, Paiute, but I thought there was uh, uh, peyote? Peyote. Peyote. Yeah. peyote. Yeah. Um, it was there and I couldn't get it out. Yeah, there's, there's peyote, and now people are on um, ayahuasca, which is like a kind of drink from another plant. Oh, no, it's it's, it's nuts. You know, you know what's actually creepy about this stuff? I, I, and you're going to say, Pastor, how do you know about all this? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a podcast that I was listening to. Um, if you ever, you know, I'll, I'll plug their podcast. They're not 
putting anything out right now, but it was called the Not Conformed Podcast. And they're long form, long form um, podcasts where it was it was actually a Lutheran pastor in Canada and a uh, I think uh, some I think I think he's a sociologist um, at a university in Canada. And they're both really good friends. And they were talking about all this stuff. And that's like how they they bring up these little pushes for like microdosing and, and saying like, you know, you think it's no big deal. It's even in like the Marvel films because you, you watch like Black Panther and the way that they choose their king is that he takes a hallucinogenic, a, he takes a hallucinogenic drug and like goes on a trip, basically a spirit, spirit quest kind of stuff. And you go, that's subtly putting in there that these stuff, that this stuff is not so bad to the people and, and like sorcery and whatever. But it's, it, it's crazy because they were talking about how um, nowadays they're talking about peyote and um, I think it's ayahuasca where what's creepy about ayahuasca is that um, the, the tests that they do with this drug, um, it's, it's basically a drink or you can smoke it or however you do it. I can't remember how, how, how it is. I'm glad I don't know. But um, the, the creepy thing is the hallucinations amongst people, no matter their background, the hallucinations are always the same. They're always the same hallucinations. If that's not creepy, I don't know what is. Like, uh, especially with Christians, people who have a Christian background, if they take that drug and, and like doctors have like monitor them, they do not have a good time. They have a horrible time because lizard people come after them and try and eat them. <laughs> no joke. And, 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 and like, it's creepy. And you say like, but there's, there's always something to do with, with like snakes and lizards that they see always. And there's always this woman that they see lady ayahuasca that they say there's always a woman enticing them to come further if they are having a good time now if that's not demonic stuff i don't know what is right it's really creepy stuff um if you want to know more check out the not conformed podcast and it's really it's sometimes hard listening to because you just go who would fall for this stuff but they put out like clips of people talking about how how fun it is how you know how hooked on it they are and there's even these evangelists for it who who like this lady ayahuasca you know this like spiritual being that they see when they're tripping on this drug tells them you're being selfish i want you to go and bring friends now if that's and and, and like that's not one account that's like several people say i've heard her say this to me and you go that's some creepy things and they talk even about the Christian perspective saying in scripture, uh, there's, you know, if you read in Leviticus, like there is a extreme prohibition of sorcery and witchcraft because what it does is it connects you to the unseen realm that you're not supposed to see, right? Um, because if you're accessing the unseen realm according to your flesh, back to our study here for a second, if you're accessing the unseen realm, the heavenly realm, according to your flesh, you are engaging with demonic forces. You are not engaging with the Holy Spirit, right? 
Um, and, and, and people get so far off in the weeds on this and say, oh, I'm so spiritually, you know, sound or so spiritually enlightened with these things that this spirit has been talking to me. It's like, yeah, it's a demon. It's a demon that's talking to you and you don't even know it. You're so darkened in your own understanding. You're just so far gone because you're following after fleshly things. And that's why I thought it was interesting that the Christians they tested these things on had a horrible time because I think that the Holy Spirit was actively warring against those spirits and they were in turmoil and said, I don't want to go, like, I do not want to do that again. And in fact, it made, I think in some instances, not all of them, they actually ran back to the church and said, I need to get back into this so that I don't ever do that again kind of thing. So, yeah. The only thing I have about, you know, this pharmacopoeia, pharma... Pharmacaea. Pharmacaea. Uh-huh. Um, talking about um, people using things, making concoctions and everything. We burned. God made all these these uh, herbs and and plants and things like that as as medicines and as helps to humankind. And. In the name of witchcraft, we burned all the natural healers back in the 15th century. <laughs> and that's interesting. And and they're really, I mean, all that not the Indians, even though they use a psycho, anyhow, they, psychotropics, they, yeah, yeah, psychotropic drugs and things like that. They did know how to to keep the, their people well and mm-hmm. and uh, fix things that we. We're dabbling with drugs, medicines that are man-made and that aren't good. Whereas, well, there I, is some good there. Not, no, of course. Not, I'm not talking about you know. I'm not talking about yeah trips and things like that. Oh, I know. But but there yeah. is some good. Well, I mean, I don't know if yeah. I I think it's I think it's a little. <clears throat> I mean, you even hear Luther talking about natural remedies. Yeah. And that's fine. I don't think anybody's about like to give to give to give Christians back in the 15th century a little bit of credit. Maybe they did go after people that were doing some things they sh- you know, they got caught on the wrong side of it, but um I don't know. I I with everything going on with the pharmaceutical industry, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to burn some of them at the stake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that sounds radical, but I mean, it's just like the way that they push this stuff. I mean, it's unnatural. It's, uh, it's, it is ungodly what they use the good things of God for. Exactly. So whoever deserved it, they deserved it, but whoever didn't, they didn't. And, you know, God have mercy, right? Um, not everybody gets, you know, the justice that they deserve or whatever. So, but I mean... In general, though, I think that if you were practicing, um, you know, again, not always, but if you were practicing natural healings, I don't think any, I don't, I don't think anybody would really have a problem with you and say you they they, they want to burn you at the stake. There, Maybe. there were instances where jealousy and rivalry yeah. and things like sure. that. All they needed was was somebody to say, "Oh, she's a witch," or "He's a he's a sure. he's a witch," and. And there's no way to prove that you're not. You know, they uh, yeah. they, they weight you down with stones, or they throw oh, you, yeah. throw you in the in the 
pond with weights on you, and if you drowned, well, see, she was a witch. Well, criminy. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's kind of funny, but like, you know, so you're kind of talking about the Salem witch trials and things like that, right? But I mean, there were there were actual accounts of, of like, of these women, or at least some of them, or they were associating with women who were like engaging in like Creole religion type stuff that oh, yeah. was that no. that that is dark and is necromancy or whatever and you go yeah, yeah we can't we can't tolerate that stuff um but the salem witch trials themselves are very interesting and like mass hysteria and whatever but yeah. um uh or just like a certain spirit getting a hold of people right uh never never discount the spiritual realm on these things for oh, sure oh yeah no yeah yeah no somebody said once that if if you dabble with this stuff, you're opening the door and saying, "Come on in, Satan." I, I mean, you're you're at least cracking the door open. Yeah. Um, and like when when you think about the camel's nose under the tent, you know what happens? It's not it's not long before the whole camel's inside the tent, and then and and people say and and well, not to get too far off. Because the thing is, is that back to Galatians 5.17 is that there's a spirit opposed to the flesh. Um, and I can't remember where it is in Acts, but people say, you know, well, <laughs> it's kind of a fun thing. Um, people will say, you know, well, we Christians, we don't, we're, we're very tolerant and we don't, we don't, we don't go too far in certain things. And you go, we don't burn books and things like that. But, um... Where is it? There is a part in Acts where they're um, young. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Where in 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 Acts they um, hang on. Uh, Acts nineteen nineteen. That's where it is. When they evangelize um, in um, <clears throat> Ephesus, no, is it Ephesus? No, it's, um, yeah, it is Ephesus, isn't it? Um, yeah, they're, they're in, so Paul, Paul's in Ephesus, and they're evangelizing people. Oh, let's read this real quick. It's really neat. Um, the sons of Sceva, you all know that story? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. It's verse 11, and then go on to the following. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish um, exorcists, the exorcists um, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's a great story. Um, and then this is where I'm, but this is where I'm getting at. And this became known to all the residents 
of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Right? And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Right? So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Those were not cheap books. Right? They were... It... it it meant enough to the people and their faith and the fear of God, the healthy fear of God, of punishment, that they don't even want to mess with those books anymore. So they say, rightfully, they're fearful of God, and they're fearing him so much, they say, to prevent the devil from taking control of me again, I'm going to burn these, and I'm going to... Maybe there were some good things in them. But then again, how much arsenic do you want in your drinking water? Right? What's a safe amount? Yeah. So I, I just throw that out there because it's kind of interesting because people will say, you know, Christians don't burn books. Well, <laughs> uh, we, we just burn the right kind of books. <laughs> right? We qualify it. Yeah, we qualify it. Yeah. So I mean, like, sometimes it's like, it's okay to not spread certain knowledge. It's okay. In fact, it's better for people to not spread certain knowledge. Um, so... I just I, I throw throw that out there to say you know some sometimes we have to make sacrifices of great cost because we don't want these things to fall like we could just have them on our shelf and say I'm never gonna touch that again but then you die and then it goes to somebody else and who knows how it's gonna influence them right so not not saying we gotta have a bonfire out at church next week you know and bring all your bad books and let's burn them all but I'm saying that, you know sometimes you have to make a sacrifice and say well. That was my old way of life according to the flesh. And now I'm, you know, even though these cost me a lot, I'm, I just, I can't, I can't have anything to do with them according to my conscience now that is made clean in Christ. Yeah. I, I know it's a huge detour, but it's fun, right? It's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And, and isn't it neat that in every account where it's talking about the, uh, the evil spirits, Jesus, I know. Yeah, he they he, they know who he is. That's exactly right. They know who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And then, oh man, wouldn't that be terrifying? Like seven seven sons, one man, and he overpowers them all and just strips them naked, and they run out crying. You know. Um, oof. Anyways, yeah, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Make the. Sign to say run. Yeah, it means you don't mess around with the name of Jesus either, right? I mean, uh, don't just use it flippantly or, or uh, as a magic incantation, right? They they were they were using it because they thought it was useful in that way, but they didn't have faith in what Christ was really doing or who He really was. Yeah, um, so that's very strange. They were using the name of Jesus in a fleshly way, yeah. misusing His name. Oh, they were breaking what? Uh, what, the second commandment? <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, uh, we see that the relationship between the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. And then we'll look at Romans 7, 14, 18, sorry, 7, verse 14, verse 18, and verse 23. Um, so, Romans 7.
So who wants to read those verses for us? So verse 14, 18, and 23 of Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And then 18 is, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is... For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And then verse 23. And 23 is, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Right. So what <clears throat> two things are at war with one another? Flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. Mm -hmm. The flesh and the spirit are at war. Um, what does this teach us about our... Um, what does this teach us about about our, our, intellect, heart, and will. That we're slaves to it? That we're slaves to, so, um. We have no control? Yeah, that, I mean, that, we do have control. <laughs> we, and we're going to dive into what that relationship is in just a moment here. So, yeah, so we, so the intellect, the heart, and the will, um, in and of itself, in the natural sense, you know, in the sinful, fleshly sense, what does it want to do? What do those things want to do? They want to sin. Yeah. So that part of us is when we say that we are simultaneously saints and sinners, that's the part of us, the natural part that's corrupted by sin the fleshly part, the old Adam, as we might say as well, right? That part of us is the part that is always, you know, hostile towards God, or at least obstinate, doesn't want to do the things of God, is resistant to the Spirit, is at war with the Spirit. Um, and we need to also remember that we who are Christians... When we, uh, when we talk about the war between the spirit and the flesh, it is, never, it is never to be assumed that the spirit and the flesh are matched one-on-one, -on -one, right? That they are both just as strong as the other. Because the spirit, well, who, who's, who's stronger than who in the battle between the spirit and the flesh? Who's stronger? The spirit. the spirit is but man, strong. that flesh can just get in that's there. Right. Thoughts, yeah. you know, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it. absolutely. It's all will. That's right, yeah. So when you say, so that makes a lot of sense when Jesus says to his um, disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they fail to pray, they're falling asleep, what does he say? The spirit is willing our flesh, flesh is, weak. is weak. That's right. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, and so there is that battle all the time. And you you read that else. You read that throughout Romans seven. There is like, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do. Uh, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right. Uh, that when I want to do right, 
Evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in, in, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's for the Christian, right? That's not just before conversion, as some people might say. Some Christians would say that was pre-conversion for Paul. And you go, no, he's using present tense verbs. This is the reality now that he is saved. Um, so we are always at war. Our, our flesh is always at war with the spirit. It is a daily battle. And it's something that we need to remember, you know, in the small catechism that um, baptizing with water um, shows that we, through daily contrition and repentance, drown the old Adam, drown the old man, so that the new man may come forth and live forever in righteousness and purity, right? And the new man is Jesus Christ, yeah, who, who lives within us in the spirit, right? Um, so it, it's, it's just this battle we have to keep doing over and over and over again. And um, it's really, like I said, really tricky. We're going to get into here for a second, um, but we're going to get into other parts here about St. Paul and whatever. Um, but have you noticed, have y'all ever engaged in a really bad habit or really bad practice that you knew was wrong, but you just couldn't stop doing? Yeah, you don't have to say what it is. It's okay. But um, there, like, at some point, we all struggle with some sort of pet sin or something like that. And you just say to yourself, I want to stop, but I just can't stop. Or you say, I want to stop. How? Because it seems like there's no way. Because maybe within the back of your mind, you say, well, I know how to do it, but to do that, I got to lose some of my freedom, right? I have to put restrictions on myself in some way, right? You know, um, you have to say that I, I have to maybe uh, not talk to a certain person or not drive in a certain part of town, or I maybe don't go by that, that shop, you know, like if you smoke or something like that you drink too much, you say, well, I'm not going to drive by Judy's liquor store or something, you know, I'm not going to drive by the convenience store where I always get my pack of smokes or, you know, whatever, it could be even worse than that, right? I'm just not, I'm going to change my habits of what I do. And, but your flesh will say, oh, but you're free to do what you want. You're free. You're hindering your freedom. And you go, and that's when the spirit has to say, yes, I am because if I'm free, quote unquote, to go in this way and to do these habits, and that's what I use as my excuse, I am chained and bound by that sin still. Does that make sense? So that when you remove those shackles by limiting your freedom in that sense, you become free in the good ways. You become free to do the things that you should be doing, you know not saying the things you shouldn't say, you know, and not doing the things you shouldn't do and all that. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive because our flesh doesn't want to give things up. It doesn't want to give up control. But the Spirit sometimes says, He has to remind us, 
that we are slaves of God, right? Um, what does Paul say at the beginning of a lot of his, his um, letters that he writes? Like we looked at Romans that one time. Um, what does he say? He says, well, our translations usually say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. But I mean, the word in Greek is doulos, which means slave. And we talked about that when we went through Romans, you know, that Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, like I cannot do what he doesn't want me to do, right? Paul could not have done all the great things that he done and all all the great things he done. Paul could not have done all the great things that he did um, in God's name if he just said, well, I'm free to go to the brothel. You know, I'm free to go and go, go into the temple and worship as I want to. I'm free to go do this, that, or the other. But he says even when it comes to... Um, uh, partaking of meats sacrificed to false gods, right? That he says, you can freely do that, but if it's going to cause someone else to stumble, don't do it, right? And don't use your Christian, or don't use your freedom as an excuse for sin, right? And that's something I really want to drive home on this one. Um, it's not in our study, but I think it's important to keep that in mind, right? Because our flesh is going to find all kinds of excuses, all kinds of excuses to say, um, you know, you just keep on doing what you like to do. Yeah. Any thoughts about that? Questions before we go on here? I'm going to take a little swig of water. All right. Well, next part is, this is all text from the solid declaration of the formula of Concord um, on free will. And uh, it's very, it's very interesting. So um, uh, he writes. So Chemnitz writes, the man who wrote this, right? Now, if in Saint Paul and in other regenerate men, that is Christians, right, the natural or carnal—that's fleshly—free will, even after regeneration, strives against God's law, it will be much more obstinate and hostile to God's law and will before regeneration, right? So before you're a Christian, it's going to be even worse against God's law. Um, hence, it is manifest that the free will from its own natural powers not only cannot work or concur in working anything for its own conversion, righteousness, and salvation, nor follow, obey, believe, or assent to the Holy Ghost, who through the gospel offers him grace and salvation. But from its, but from, but from its, its, its innate, wicked, rebellious nature, it resists God and his will hostilely, unless it be enlightened and controlled by God's Spirit. Okay. On this account, the Holy Scriptures also compare the heart of the unregenerate man to a hard stone, which does not yield to the one who touches it, but resists, and to a rough block, and to a wild, unmanageable beast. Not that man, since the fall, is no longer a rational creature, or is converted to God without hearing and 
meditating upon the divine word or in external worldly things cannot understand or of his free will do or abstain from doing anything good or evil. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Did y'all, does, 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 does all that make sense? Um, I kind of want to read that a little bit differently because this is from the Triglotta edition. It's, it, it's, it's in the public domain. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's a little bit antiquated in how it talks, right? Um, so what I wanted to read from was the more updated translation from the Book of Concord that we have. Uh, where is it? Where he says, um, it's, it's, it's very similar. It says, like, you know, this, so because of this, the Holy Scriptures compare the heart of, of the unregenerate person to a hard stone. It does not yield to the one who touches it, but resists. It is like a rough block and a wild, unmanageable beast. This does not mean that since the fall, a person is no longer a rational creature or is converted to God without hearing and, 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 and meditating on the divine word. It does not mean a person fails to understand outward worldly things or of his free will do or abstain from doing anything good or um, um, anything good or evil. So maybe that helps it helps you understand a little bit that he can that the natural man can understand worldly things. He's not just a, a bump on a log, right? Some people are, but you know. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that he can understand, he can hear what you're saying, he can go and obey traffic laws, right? He can know that red means stop and green means go. Like, it doesn't mean that he's just totally obstinate in saying, you know, I'm not going to even obey that. Some people don't, right? They run the red lights so or they run the stop signs. But um, that just means that um, since the fall... It's not that man is just a brute beast. He can still understand reason. He can, uh, he can still understand, in the very general sense, don't murder, right? Um, he, can, he, he can understand in the very general sense. You know, it's not right to steal, right? Uh, or something like that, because he doesn't like to get stolen from, right? That a murderer doesn't want to be murdered, right? They understand these things. They can understand reason and logic, but... Um, when it comes to divine things, we are more like a stone or like a rough block that we just don't get it, you know? And then, so, uh, any questions on that? Any thoughts? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, the scriptures are right, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, Martin Luther on our sinful condition and our fitness for freedom. Uh, Dr. Luther says regarding Psalm 90, in worldly and external affairs, which pertain to the livelihood and maintenance of the body, man is cunning, intelligent, and quite active. But in spiritual and divine things, which pertain to the salvation of the soul, man is like a pillar of salt, like Lot's wife, yea, like a log and a stone, like a lifeless statue, which uses neither eyes nor mouth, neither sense nor heart. For man neither sees nor perceives the terrible and fierce wrath of God on account of sin and death resulting from it, but ever continues in his, in his, in his security, 
even knowingly and willingly, and thereby falls into a thousand dangers, and finally into eternal death and damnation. And no prayers, no supplications, no admonitions, yea, also no threats, no chiding, are of any avail. Yea, all teaching and preaching is lost upon him until he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Ghost, for which indeed no stone or block but man alone was created. And although God, according to his just, strict, strict, sentence has has utterly cast away the fallen evil spirits forever he has nevertheless out of special pure mercy willed that poor fallen human nature might again become and be capable and participant of conversion the grace of god and eternal life not from its own natural active or um, not not from its own natural active or effective skill aptness or capacity for the nature of man is obstinate enmity against God that's hostility right but from pure grace through the gracious efficacious working of the Holy Ghost. And this, Dr. Luther calls capacity, not active, but passive, right? Passive capacity, which he explains thus. When the fathers defend the free will, they are speaking of this, that, that is, that, that, that it is capable of freedom in this sense, that by God's grace, it can be converted to good and become truly free for which it was created in the beginning. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Any, any questions on that? Any questions about free will and the bondage of the will into sin? Kind of some stuff you got to digest for a bit, right? Um, some things to think about. Well, thank goodness we've got God's grace. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Thanks Thanks be to God for salvation, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, so that when the fathers, that is the fathers in the faith, you know, the, the theologians in the early church and whatnot, uh, they they are speaking of this, that it is capable of freedom in this sense that by God's grace it can be converted to good and become truly free. Because when you are converted, like I said before, you cast off, you know, the, the shackles of sin are cast off, right? You are given a new heart, a new will. That is God's will to shun the things that would hold you in bondage to sin, right? And that's where true freedom really comes in. That when you shun by God's grace and by his will, you shun the sinful things, whether it be something as innocuous as, you know, gossip or coveting, you know, seemingly innocuous, right? Seemingly. Um, co like coveting, gossiping, idolatry, whatever. You can shun these things according to God's will that has been given to you as a free gift so that you are truly free to do good. Right? Truly free to do good.
Um, any questions about that? Yes. Up here in the, the on the, on the left hand part. side. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Um, that when a person <clears throat> has fallen away, and finally, uh, let's see, no prayers, no supplication, no admonitions, yea, also no threats, no chiding are of any avail, yea, all teaching and preaching is lost upon him. Unless, right? Until he is enlightened. That's right, okay. until. So, but... <laughs> Though the, those of us that are praying for somebody in that condition, our prayers are not uh, of no counter, not availing. Mm -hmm. True? No? Um, yeah, maybe maybe I can put it a different way, because he says, because um, where is that? It says, uh, um, just talking about the, the man um, neither sees no nor No chiding or of any avail. Yeah. Um, um, are, they're not in, well, I mean, I think he's being, he's right in a certain sense. And this is where you get into the, the mystery of conversion and faith, right? Uh, you don't know somebody's heart and you don't know exactly what it's going to be that causes them to believe after so much of, um, uh, so much of denial and rejection of God, if they even come around, right? Um, that it is really an entirely work of the Holy Spirit. When it says there to no avail, that's not to be read as that they're in vain, but it is to show that um, that it's not by it's not by your prayers that someone is. Oh, yeah, oh no. I think that's what he's really getting at. Oh, it's, okay. It's not it's not by your teaching, your preaching, your prayers, no threats, you know. Um, uh, and all these things, it's it's not by those things, but by God working in those things and through those things. That God is the one who changes somebody's heart. He can use you as his instrument, and he does, right? But, um, I mean, in, in the end, it shouldn't be that, you know, I prayed for this person, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Why didn't God give me what I prayed for in converting them? You know, it's it's safeguarding against our seeing those good things as our work, as opposed to God working through them. And again, this is the mystery of conversion that um, uh, just just as a bit of insight, I was I was working with uh, the three folks that we have in catechesis right now, and we were talking about the third article of the creed. Right, the conversion, you know, that, that that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior or come to Him, you know, but the Holy Spirit has brought me to faith, right? Basically, and um, uh, and w one of one of the students said, "So explain that." Yeah. <laughs> and I said, "All right," because because she was saying, <clears throat> she said. Um, um, so do you like, because, and I've, I've, I've gone through this before, I'll do it again because it's worth repeating, you know, um, in, in our common context of Christianity in America, we are caught between two sides of, um, uh, two, two sides of a debate on conversion. And on one side you have, uh, those who say that, you know, you're, you have free will and conversion, right? You can decide, 
right? You can have like a decision for Jesus on that side of things, you know, and, and so that your decision is what affects the faith in some sense. And there's the other side that says uh, that it's all about what God does, but they go so extreme in one in that direction that say He chooses who we who He will save and who He will condemn. And we as Lutherans fall right in the middle, and we say God um, God is the only one that saves us. Right, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can change our hearts to really believe so that to the people that say it's all about a decision, we would say, you can't make that decision apart from the Holy spirit. And you don't even realize that you should realize that because then you see it as a gift to the folks over here who say that God chooses whom he will save and whom he will condemn. You need to be really careful because if he chooses whom he will condemn, how do you know that's not you? Right? We would say God, God chooses whom he will save. And he chooses and wants all people to be saved. But the only choice that we have is to reject him. Therefore, anything that has to do with salvation, God gets all the credit. Anything that has to do with damnation, we get all the credit, right? And if I go any deeper than that, it's just going to get really confusing. <laughs> you know, it's just going to get really confusing because we can pray and pray and pray to go back to this. We can pray and chastise and chide and do all these things that are good and godly. But mysteriously, if the Holy Spirit is not convicting them or they are just so far gone in their sin, I mean, that's that's one of those things that's like the unseen battle within someone we just can't perceive and say, I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to do that. But then in the end, if you're still condemned, that's your, that's on your head. That's not God's fault, right? Because God was working through me. He was working through our church. He was working through all these people, all Christians to try and pray and bring people to repentance. And if you still say no, then that's your fault, right? And that's not God's fault for trying to reach out to you um, and, and, and that, so it's like, that's not a, that's not a, a, a way of saying, don't bother with prayer. It's not a way of saying, don't bother with reaching out to people and saying you're not living right. And that's not what God wants for you. Do those things, but know that God is the one who's going to bring them over. If anybody, you know, I mean, he's the only one, right? He's the only one that could ever change anybody's heart for these things. So, um, that, 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 that takes a little bit of thought to wrap your head around this stuff. Um, but it makes a clear point. And Luther, Luther is a very, very brilliant man. And, and he had a way of words for sure. And, um, but I mean, he, he's certainly driving home the point that it's not about what you do. It's about what God does. But God still works through you. So don't give up on that. Yeah, don't give up on prayers and reaching out to people necessarily. Um, but know that it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. Okay. Does that help a little bit? Okay. Yes. Well, the, the part about God determines who's saved and who's condemned. Uh-huh. That speaks to predestination. Mm-hmm. And 
He created us out of love. Mm -hmm. We are his children. He wants each and every one of us to live and and prosper and, and be his his child. Mm -hmm. It's up to us to determine if we're going to reject him or. Yeah. So it's really like, yeah, and we just have to be really careful about how we talk about that because the only choice that we have within ourselves is to reject him. Right. Um, and then when we say, oh, I believe in Jesus, you say, oh, but that's the Holy Spirit talking right there. Because it says, I think in what Corinthians, that no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, no, you're exactly right. So it's just one of these things of like, um, sometimes God also gives people over to their desires. Right. Right. I mean, that's exactly what Romans 1 is all about. He gives them up to their debased minds and they just go on. But ideally for the sake of repentance and faith, right? Um, they'll get so far gone and so down, kind of like the prodigal son, that, they, that, that hopefully they'll realize they have nowhere else to turn but to God, right? And that's something that God works within somebody's heart. We can't see that. Yeah. Like whenever he created us, he didn't mm -hmm. determine at that time you're going to be great and you're going to be damned. Right. Yeah. He desires all men to be saved. Right. Exactly. Right. So when we talk about that, we can talk about predestination. Well, I didn't mean to. I, no, know. it's okay. Well, you can. But Lutherans, <laughs> you can. That's fine. But it's kind of a term that's been, that's been I guess, used only in one way for predestination. <coughs> predestination of either salvation or damnation that usually Lutherans talk about um, the doctrine of of uh, the doctrine of election that he chooses whom he um, will save and he desires for all men to be saved right he wants us all to be saved but not all will be not because he didn't choose them but because they rejected him yeah. I guess one of the reasons that kind of weighed on me. Yeah. I know a father that told his children, you know, mm -hmm. we're just des we're just destined to be poor. We're or you know, not have and you know and I went to That's okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I went to uh, well, I can't even remember the verse now where um, I want you to prosper and, and be good. Right, but prospering can mean various things. I know, right, yeah. right. Yeah. and that's, you know, that's what you, you want to spirit. expand upon. Yeah, uh, if somebody says, you know, well, God just meant for us to be poor, you go, well, all right, thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks be to God, uh, but but at least we're saved. But, but <laughs> he gave right? it, you know, that we're lost. Oh, okay. That, that feeling, you know, you, you can't do anything, everything's lost. So it's very defeatist and uh -huh. deterministic, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I got you, okay. Yeah, well, that's that's not the right attitude no, to have, for no. sure. And I certainly didn't want that for, for the children. No, but that brings a good point, too, that the sins of the father, you know, affect the, affect the children. And, and it does. Yeah, Exodus 20, uh, after the commandments, right, says, uh, uh, well, we have it in the small catechism, too, right? The You say, what, is, what does God say about these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the sins of the, punishing the children. For the sins of the father, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love and mercy to the thousandth generation 
of those who love me and keep my commandments. Right. So the fathers have a big role to play, for sure. Yeah. You going to say something, I, I wondered about the, them misinterpreting this uh, predestination, that it's really God's foreknowledge. He knows mm -hmm. what's going to happen in the end. Uh -huh. So he's going to know the people that are going to reject him. Um, yeah, no. you need to be kind of careful about that. Yeah. Um, because, uh, so I'll just, I'll just read. So actually our, um, where is it? Which article is it? Um, goodness, good works, law and the gospel. In the, um, uh, in the formula of Concord, there's, they, they deal with the foreknowledge of God. And maybe I can just read the epitome so it's brief. Um, person of Christ, sorry. We don't have to get off track on that. No, you're okay. It kind of kind of plays into it. Um, God's eternal foreknowledge, predestination, and, and election. So he says, uh, so in the epitome, this is just kind of the, the Cliff Notes version. He gets, he, you know, they get deeper in into the solid declaration. Um, he says, um, affirmative statements, the pure and true teaching about this article. Um, to begin with, this, the distinction between God's foreknowledge and his eternal predestination ought to be kept, ought, ought to be kept accurately. God's foreknowledge is nothing else than this. God knows all things before they happen, as it is written in Daniel 2.28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals, who, who reveals, um, who reveals mysteries, and He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. This foreknowledge extends over the godly and the 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 wicked alike, but it is not the cause. Of, of evil or of sin. Excuse me. In other words, it is not what causes people to do wrong, which originally arises from the devil and mankind's wicked, perverse will. Uh, the foreknowledge um, only regulates this and fixes a a and fixes a limit on their ruin how far it should progress, and how long it should last. All this happens to serve his, his elect for their salvation, even though such ruin is, its, is, 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 ah, excuse me. Even though such ruin is, is evil in itself. Um, and what he says further, because it's kind of it's a, it's a little long, but he says um, that we should not reach conclusions about our our election to eternal life based on reason or God's law, right? um, and that the foreknowledge um, of God is uh, not to be well. We have to know this. God may know who's going to reject him, but that's for him to know. And you, and I'm sure you would agree with that, right? Yeah. His secret counsel is not something that we should look into, right? We cannot say, 
you know, um, <clears throat> oh, that boy was born bad, and he's going to stay bad, and he'll die bad, you know, and he's going to go to hell because of all these things. Um, that's God's secret counsel. Um, his foreknowledge and his will should be sought in his word where he has shown it, right? So we will, we may be able to say he knows who's going to reject him, but still, I mean, we got to be careful about that. Yeah, I mean, we just say, but I pray that's not you, <laughs> right? Just be careful with that stuff. Um, yeah, so um, any other thoughts or questions about that? All right, so before conversion, the heart of stone. But before man is enlightened, converted, regenerated, renewed, and drawn by the Holy Ghost, he can of himself and of his own natural powers begin, work, or concur in working in spiritual things, and in his own conversion or regeneration, just as little as a stone or a block of clay. Right? So that's nothing, right? Um, for although he can control the outward members and hear the gospel and to a certain extent, uh, and to a certain extent meditate upon it, also discourse concerning it as is to be seen in the Pharisees and, 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 uh, excuse me, and, uh, and, And the hypocrites, nevertheless, he regards it as foolishness and cannot believe it. And in this respect, he acts even worse than a block, inasmuch as he is rebellious and hostile to God's will, unless the Holy Ghost is efficacious in him and kindles and works in him faith and other virtues pleasing to God and obedience. So, um, it's kind of funny when you read that, uh, at first you go, oh, he can do all these things. Oh, as little as a stone or a block of clay. Right? <laughs> so it's like, there's some hope there. Oh, wait, you're just a stone. You're just a block of clay in regards to this stuff. So, um, in summary, what do the scriptures teach about our will before we are converted? Block or clay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, worse than that, right? It's like a stone that's being tossed at a window. <laughs> so, like, but the stone's throwing itself. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, so, yeah, it's like we are hostile towards God. We are not indifferent, but we are hostile towards God before conversion. Yeah? Um, that our will is not able to participate in spiritual matters in a positive sense. Um, yeah, we're hostile towards God. Um, being, being sons of wrath, as St. Paul says in Ephesians, I believe, right? So how does this give us comfort? Consider especially how faith and trust in the gospel are the works of God and not the results of what we do. How does that give us comfort? Not up to us. We can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not up to us. Who, and so who is it up to? God. It's up to God, right? I mean, God does all the saving work. That way you don't have to have... Think about that. You don't have any say in your conversion. God does. 
who is more trustworthy, God or you? Right? Yeah, God is much more trust. He is infinitely more trustworthy than we are. So it's like if it's up to that's why it's that's why it's kind of scary, right? The people who believe that you know you can make a decision. Uh, I've heard this before. Many of them say, uh, you know, some sometimes they're afflicted, and they're spiritually afflicted because they start to ask themselves, "Did I do the right thing? Did I do it the right way? Right? Did I say the right prayer?" Or, you know, did I, but they'll still hold that along with God being, saving us by grace through faith. And, but they'll still, like, that'll be in conflict until they get it resolved. And some have this conflict more strongly than others. You know, some of them aren't bothered by it at all. But those of, those who are honest about it or, or who are really have sensitive consciences about this, they'll say, well, if I make the decision, then in the midst of pain and suffering, you go, did I do the right thing? Or like, why am I suffering if I did the right thing? Right. Or something along those lines. Um, when you know that there's nothing good that is in you that can affect your salvation, that, that can bring about your salvation, that God is the one who does it. You can say, all my trust is placed in him. Thankfully, not in me. Yeah. So that when you are troubled, you say, Lord, you have done these things. You have promised. You have washed me clean. You have fed me in faith. And I'm going to trust in you. Right? I'm going to trust in what you have done and what you've promised to do. Yeah? Um, any other thoughts about that? Questions? It should be all for our comfort, right? Well, if, if, if there's no thoughts or questions about that, that's that's it for today. Have anything else to add before we close? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks be to God. God. Absolutely. This is, uh... God be praised. I'll say God be praised because I'm not supposed to say the A word in Lent, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what it means. God be praised. Um <laughs> So, um, with that, next, next time we'll go into part four, looking more into the scriptures described, the work of conversion of the Holy Spirit, see how that happens, or, or I guess as much as we can know from scripture, right? Um, and uh, Augustine's change of mind on this topic, and you see some more things about that um, with St. With Augustine or... Augustine, however you want to say his name, doesn't really matter. We know who you're talking about, right? Um, yeah. Okay, so next time we'll go on part part four and uh, just keep on chugging along. Right. Um, there's no other questions, comments, concerns. Once, going twice. All right. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. So taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen.